0: And what they might say, we love Jesus anyway. Our series is simply entitled, Arise, Move, and Go. We are back looking at the life of Noah. Join us, Way of Grace, Pastor Jessica Stan. coming up next... Grace Bible Church, right here in Hayward, online at grace Bible.com. Welcome to today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Today, we turn our attention to Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. series is called Arise, Move, and Go. Safe only in Him is today's message, and we'll spend time this week taking a look at the entry into the ark by Noah and his family and the significance of this move and how it relates to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join us. Here's Pastor Jesse with today's broadcast of Way of Grace. You will
1: turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. I know we just read the 8th chapter, but we will make a running start up into chapter 8, which is a conclusio of a resolve on the part of God to do something that obviously God determined to be done. Whatever God does is right. It doesn't always feel that way to us. I was not uh, ignoring what I saw the last few verses of Genesis 7 citing about how God felt in his heart as to the outcome of his righteous judgment. I hope you didn't miss it either. He said, I will no longer destroy the world. The way I just have. That's not to be missed. We understand theologically this is a device called anthropomorphism. We have a God who knows how to communicate to us in human terms. He would teach us to be like him. What that would mean is that sometimes we have to do hard things. But we don't have to like it. We don't have to be sadistic about it. And I heard God say back in the 6th chapter, I repent that I made man the way that I did. Because now I have to destroy him that they might get the lesson that they're never going to be me. Now, again, hold on because I know, you know, we take these things humorously but we really need to take them seriously. Because he destroyed every living soul. So the the parameters between him repenting that he made us and then repenting that he killed us means that we got a problem. Not God, us. But God resolved, I'm not doing that that way anymore. And that's why I will praise him. I will praise him. Praise the lamb for sinners slain. Give him glory, all ye people, for his blood has washed away our sin. The reason humanity is here today after so many tens of thousands of years is because of the resolve of that last verse. I'm not doing it like that anymore. Humanity could never learn if every time they rebelled against me at length, I wiped out every living thing. God is a God of justice, but boy, is he not a God of mercy. You and I are living on mercy. This is where we should just be. Let's be clear about it because I got a lot to say today. And, and I just want you to know you're only going to get it if you understand the mercy of God. The rest of it is going to be way over your head. And, and, and frequently we miss the point of God's mercy. I think God's mercy in many ways is more enigmatic, more mysterious and more complex than his justice. And here's the reason I say that, because we will frustrate God's mercy in our own life. We will, we will forbid it. We will deny it. We will ignore God's mercy when we really need to be learning about it. Pressing deeply into it, engaging it in every fiber of our being because you and I are simply objects of mercy today. Why on earth should he let you live another minute if it's not his mercy? Now, some of us are persuaded of that. Others of you are not. And you're going to be uh, part of that category that's going to be having to answer for that on the last day. Like a whole bunch of people back in the antediluvian flood. Now, if you don't get anything that I say today out of the message, because I'm trying to not be as profound as the text demands, because it really demands thinking. These are not fables. They are rich with coded language about the way God operates, both in his justice and his mercy. And God expects covenant people to understand it. But what I know about my generation of Christians is they are not covenant people. They don't know their Bible hardly at all. And what that means is you basically read your Bible uninformed. And that means the teacher has to work really hard to help you get it. Does that make some sense? And if it doesn't, let me hope you understand that. If you were a pure pagan living in a third world country where you didn't even understand English For an English preacher, missionary, worker to come and teach you the gospel, they would have to teach you proper grammar, linguistics, all kinds of prerequisites, even before the word of God will make sense on a literal level. And I'm saying that we live in a generation now, we call this in theology, the noetic effect of sin, where the mind is not healthy enough to entertain God talking to us for an hour. So we drift. Unless it's couched in all kind of performance. And so when we have to think deeply, when we have to hear the word of God, like Paul said, the hour is coming when they will not endure. It is too heavy for them to endure sound doctrine. And so shallowness is all you can do with the average Christian. Because they're not grounded. They're not taught. We would call this in Catholicism, in our reformed communities, being catechized. The the assumption is that if you were taught the Bible from a child, then you can get the pastor in adult class. Then you can get him and he doesn't have to do a whole lot of explaining. Like a lot of the terms in Genesis chapter six through nine are terms that the covenant people of God, who are the first auditors, would have understood. Am I making some sense? Because they would have been in a visceral, practical, tactile, physical way catechized. This is something we're thinking through now as to why um, it is dangerous for you and I to merely intellectualize the word of God. To intellectualize the word of God is to fail to understand that you are a child like our children are. This is what I love about our teachers with our kids, because our teachers teach them in a multi-dimensional way so they can get it kinetically so that they can get it physically. They can get it verbally, audibly, visually, because that's the only way you're going to get God's word. If you notice, God does a lot of talking. Maybe you didn't notice it. But you need to know this. No one has been talking but God since chapter 6. In fact, chapter 5. The only one in the account that we're dealing with since what we call the godly line of Noah and Enoch is God talking. Now, you know how hard it is, parents, when you're teaching your little kids and you got to do the whole narration. And they're sitting there looking at you. And you really would want them to participate to kind of give you a break because you're running across elements that you can't explain that well. Well, this is what God is doing. And it doesn't evade me that in Genesis 6, as God gave the analysis of the wicked, the wicked have nothing to say because God doesn't want to hear from the wicked. Whenever we're in a wicked way, God doesn't want to hear from you unless it's repentance. Unless it's grief for sin. He doesn't want to hear you arguing or complaining or raising questions against him. Am I making some sense? Here we are now in a very powerful portion of scripture that Jesus said as it was in the days of Noah. So I'm not playing with this. Maybe you are. I'm not. Here we are in a very important passage of scripture where only heaven is talking. I want to understand everything that heaven has to say, don't you? Because God's not letting other voices in. He didn't even let Noah in. So what I, re- what I learned about Noah is that Noah was content with God doing all the talking. Hint, hint. He was content with God doing all the talking. And all he did was obey. God called him, he came. God instructed him, he received it. God told him to go to work, he went to work. And then God called him and his family in. That's chapter 7, y'all remember that? And God called Noah and his family into the ark. I love this because I told you last week, The fundamental um, key in chapter 7 is he went in. They went in. They went in. Now the fundamental thing about the occur in chapter 8 is, and they came out. And they came out. The same people that went in are the people that's coming out. And if you don't get anything out of this message, get these two words. In him. In him, in him is the only way out. The title of our message, then, as you know it in your outline is, is circumscribed this way, Arise, Move, and Go. That is our New Year's what? It's our New Year's theme, right? John chapter 14, 31, arise, let us go hence. It's the idea of Jesus saying, there's a time in which you and I need to be alert because things are happening and we need to be obedient and ready to move so as not to be the targets of the judgment of maniacal entities. And so Jesus is instructing his disciples to move and I am sharing that with you. So as we work through our four points in our outline, here's where I'm going to start. I'm gonna start by saying when God tells you to move, move. I was, uh, I was uh, exercising the day after Christmas, seeking to assuage my guilty conscience from the excess that I deliberately and intentionally engaged in. And as I'm walking down higher in Castro Valley, headed towards uh, the middle school canyon so I can do some running, Um, I noticed that there were what I call buzzards, but they are called California uh, vultures, hovering over my head. (laughs) And so as I'm walking, I'm walking fairly briskly. I'm saying to the buzzards, hey, fellas, look, I'm walking, okay? I'm not stuck. I'm not wounded. I'm not sick. I'm not dead. Why are you? And I mean, they were very close. I wish I had my thing with me. But... They were very close, and I'm just thinking maybe one of them sick, got the rabies, they're getting ready to come down on a brother, you know, Alfred Hitchcock kind of stuff. And uh, as I kept walking, I saw a field across the street at the top of the Hill of higher going down to go to Canyon. I saw a little field, about a half of an um, acre just enough to build a house on. And there were seven or eight of those vultures uh, in a circle in that field and they were all perched on fences and trees looking at one mass. Do you know those things are big when they come close? Do you know how big they are? Like some of them probably can pick you up and carry you away. (laughs) But one of them was in the middle of the field while all of them were circled around and he had his talons on one of the biggest squirrels I ever saw. So I'm walking by, I said, that's why they were hovering over my head. That squirrel is almost big as me. And then I said, the problem with that squirrel is he didn't arise, move, and go. Now you're laughing, but it's in our text. I'm getting ready to show it to you. So as we deal with the first point, I want you to understand what's going on in our narrative. There are three very terse expressions I want to accept forth. And I I definitely want to build on point number two. One is it's time to go. You got that? Number two is it's safe to enter. Number three, it's over for good. And number four, it's time to reset. Let me see what I can do to help us appreciate this portion of scripture and where you and I live. It's really true in your life. If you are mature enough, you know that God is right. There's a season for everything under the sun. Sometimes you just gotta go, right? And sometimes you got to leave. Sometimes you got to move. There's a time for embracing, a time for uh, refraining from embracing. There's a time of love, a time of hate. Y'all got that, right? These are dynamics in our life that can be sometimes difficult. But here's what I would assert to the young people. Figure out, young people, figure it out. Because old people have learned it, but sometimes through many mistakes. Figure out how to arise and move when God gives you all the signals to do it. You will save yourself a lot of trouble if you don't ignore God's care for you in these matters. Figure it out. And sometimes God's going to say, it's time to go. And you're going to be fighting with everything in you not to hear it because it's going to be bumping up against what you think is best for you. But it's not. And so it's time to go. This is what God said to Noah under our first point, it is time to go. We saw this over in chapter seven, verse four. Look at it with me. Chapter seven, verse four. Briefly, this is where Noah had been building this ark, this box for how long? A hundred years. We know that because God called him in his 500th year in chapter six, and he's telling him to come in in his 600th year. That's a long time doing ministry, is it not? It's a long time working a job. It's a long time doing anything on our account. And so we give credit Noah for, we give credit to uh, Noah for what is called perseverance of the saints. Because when your job is done, child of God, God's calling you away from where you are. I don't care what it is, when it's over with, it's time to go. Hurry up and listen to God. Okay, so Noah and his family are being called in. He says for yet seven days and I will cause it to rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights and every living substance that I have made, I will destroy from off the face of the earth. So the end of the eighth chapter lets us know how God felt about it, doesn't it? We just learned, didn't we? Because he destroyed everything. Will God make good on his word? He really will. Now see, that's the challenge you and I have. People don't believe that God means what he says. There was a whole bunch of people in Noah's day that did not believe God meant what he said. I'm going to talk a little bit about them, not a whole lot, because I'm quite interested myself of what it's like to be in him in the midst of trouble. Can you imagine, okay, mom and dad and three sons and three daughter-in-laws all working for God. This is called the family of God. I told you that last week. It would be great if it were our physical family. Not true. Not true. I wish all of our children were saved. Not true. I wish all couples were saved. Not true. The only people that are ultimately going to be saved is the family of God's elect. We got to live with the bitterness. And you say, Pastor, you're too hard. Well, okay. Let's think about Noah's brothers and sisters. And uncles and cousins. Can y'all think with me? Can you stretch it out? They're on the outside of the door. They're on the outside of the door. They're on the outside of the door. Some of us know the pain of that, don't we? They're on the outside of the door. After 100 years of loving on them and telling them you can join me, God, there's plenty room in God's house. You can join us in the labor of the gospel. You can help us build the ark of safety. There's plenty of room for, I got to do this for a hundred years. I'd love to go on vacation with Miss Noah. Would somebody help me? Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Nobody helps. Nobody helps, but God's elect. Now they all went to church, some false idol system, but they didn't help build God's kingdom. Only one family did, and this is the family of God. And I know that Paul knows who that is. This is Ephesians 3, verse 14 and 15. Listen to it again. This is Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. Here's the family of God. Then we'll keep moving. This is what Paul says. For this cause, I do what? I pray. See, because what God is calling for are humble people who are submissive to him, bowing the knees in the heart is what God asks for. I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you're talking about both knees. Not one knee. This ain't no football game. Both knees bowing before the glorious God of creation. He says, I bow my knees before the Lord, before uh, the Lord of our uh, father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the what? Whole family in heaven and earth is named. We are named children of God through Jesus Christ, and we got family in heaven, and we got family on the earth. God sees them. He knows who they are. You know who they are? They're men and women who do like Jesus did. When God causes us to arise and tells us to go, we go, because we're sons and daughters of God, that the world might know that the sons love the Father. Isn't that what we learned about that verse? See, so when we are being obedient to God, we are witnessing to the world that we love our father. Do you love him? If you do, you'll be obedient, even as Jesus did and even as Noah did. And Noah is being obedient to labor in a crazy, turned upside down. I love this. I'm just going to, I'm going to just merit this out just a little bit. You know, one of the best ways to keep yourself from getting in trouble And some of y'all need to hear this. And once you hear it, you can leave because that's the message to you. One of the best ways to keep yourself from getting in trouble is being busy about God's business. The way you keep from being distracted by the foolishness of the world is to give yourself to the prioritizing of the kingdom of God. And I'll tell you why. Because in God's kingdom, he'll have plenty for you to do that will cover your whole life. He will give you skill sets. He will give you uh, abilities. He will give you gifts. He will allow you to work and produce income and be able to raise families and support others in conjunction with serving him in the kingdom. Am I making some sense? That's the way God has always been. The believer is not to be an isolated person living on some kind of reservation or hiding in a silo. We're meant to be in the world. We are salt. We get sprinkled everywhere. We are light. We are illuminaries everywhere we go. So we're meant to be in the world. That means we're called to have skill sets. And so this is not about the notion that if I give myself up to God, then I won't have anything to do. Contrary, there's all kind of stuff you can do. In all the different areas in which you are interested in, God calls you to do it. And he will allow you to prosper. And when you're doing it in Jesus' name, he gives you the grace not to get distracted too frequently. Because we all get distracted, don't we? Noah didn't get distracted. Noah did 100 years. His wife did it with him. I, I am so super curious about that. Having a wife that hangs out with you in ministry for 100 years. Boy, she had to be a special woman 100 years because she had to put up with him, put up with the kids, put up with the daughter-in-laws. Y'all know all those dynamics. We didn't talked about that. You, you know you got a problem when there's more than one, one queen in the house. She had to do that for 100 years. And then they all entered into through the same door. Now, you know, that was a squeeze. They all went through the same door. I'm being a little humorous, but I'm not. Because you and I know how difficult it is to live for God with family. And I'm saying Noah and his family are remarkable. Because they made it through their mission and then they made it in. They made it in. Grace with particular clarity. Grace with particular clarity. Not a generic concept. A very practical one. Which is what we need. We need the grace of wisdom, don't we? The grace of humility, the grace of clarity, the grace of cooperation, the grace of submission, the grace of collaboration. Do we not? This is just, so it's not generic. I, I want us to understand there was a lot that they had to negotiate because she could have quit. Any one of the kids could have quit. Have you ever wanted to quit? See what I'm saying? This is humbling to me that they made it. I want to learn from that. I do not take it for granted. I want to be able to hear God call me in and call me out. And then I want all mine in. Can I be a little selfish for a second? I want every one of my children in. Every one of my grandkids in. I want them all in. I want to do everything I can do in my power to make sure that it's a a worthy task of committing yourself to the Lord the way the Lord wants it done. And will you, Mark, before I go on, when we're talking about building a massive, visible, obvious, ubiquitous, enduring ministry called an ark like that, you don't have people, as it were, with every man, his own doctrine, his own vision, his own view, his own shape, his own form is one revelation. One unified collaboration with a central theme that's clear to everybody. Are you ready? Christ is the way in.
0: Well, you have been listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gestand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. If you have questions or comments about the program, maybe you would like to learn more about us here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Reach out to us by simply calling 510-886-9782, or you can visit our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Sunday services here at the church are 1030 in the morning. Friday evening is our Friday evening Bible study at 6.30, and man, we've got friends of the ministry from all over the Bay Area who join us for this Friday night Bible study. It is an amazing time of God's Word and sweet fellowship in Christ. 6.30 in the evening, Tuesdays, our prayer time and a short Bible study as well. These meetings, again, the directions and information of which you can find at our website, grace Bible com or by calling 510-886-9782. This program continues to air here on this radio station and on the World Wide Web because you partner with us financially and prayerfully. Thank you for your support. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. And you can either give on a monthly basis or it's a one-time gift. It is all tax deductible, and again, the biggest part of your partnership with us is that we get to continue ministering the gospel of grace here in the Bay Area and all over the world. Consider that as you contact us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. I don't care what they might say. I don't care what they might say, we love Jesus anyway.